Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly show that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious founders get support to start and scale new businesses. And at Dublin BIC, we work with startups both to get them investor ready, but also to assist them to raise the funding needed to grow their businesses. And that's anything from the first seed round right up to Series A and beyond. I'm Connor Carmody, and I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore emerging trends in the world of technology and business. And on today's show, we'll be looking at money, a subject close to all of our hearts, and specifically looking around how founders and startups are raising funds to scale and grow. Throughout the show, we'll explore some of the new approaches and funding streams available to startups. We'll look at equity funding, debt funding, crowdfunding, and the science behind investing. And, you know, we hear a lot about equity funding, you know, ventures, angels. So today we thought it might be of value to look at other types of funding in a bit of detail, debt funding. And we will also uh, have a good conversation on crowdfunding to get an understanding of how that works. So to help us understand the challenges for startups as they look to develop their funding strategies, we're delighted to have Johnny O'Dwyer of Element Finance, which provides debt funding for software as a service companies that are looking for money to grow. Our second guest will talk about smart investing and how to be a savvy investor. We'll be talking to Emmett Savage, who's the CEO and founder of My Wall Street. And finally, we will chat to the founder of Spark Crowdfunding, Chris Burge, who will explain to us what exactly crowdfunding is and how he is building his business, providing this service. So each week in our Futurescope slot, we explore trends in a particular sector, providing a global perspective, but also what's happening on the ground locally. We discuss the challenges being presented and the innovations that are being developed to solve these issues. And this afternoon, I'm delighted to be joined by Johnny O'Dwyer of Element Finance to talk about the future of money. Johnny, good afternoon. How are you, Connor? How are you keeping? Great to have you with us. Um, Will you start us off and explain maybe at a macro level what's going on? We're, We're a show about startups and we're about funding and fundraising. Talk to me about the world of money at a macro level. What's going on from your perspective? I think uh, we're, in, we're in an interesting time, Connor, at the moment. Um, you know, we've, uh, the world is, is, is obviously coming out of pandemic and uh, I think we've seen a number of major shifts going on in, in how everybody works and, and lives. And that's changing everything from, you know, uh, how how we work remotely, the tools we use in working remotely, and 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 everything that that we do. Um, and as, as somebody described to me recently, I'm not sure how I can fit my old life into my new life. And that's kind of got profound changes for everything we do day to day. But from a financial perspective, I think we're also seeing lots of um, capital in the world. You know, the stock market is, is at all time highs in in lots of spaces, and particularly in in the sector in which I operate. In, in technology, there would seem to be, you know, very speculative nature generally in the market across all sorts of different asset classes, from from venture capital to private equity, and and you know, there's certainly, and an, an, I would say definitely, an exuberance in in the world of financial markets, and whether it's irrational or not, yeah, I don't know, but but there is certainly a large appetite. To, to take risk across, you know, all sorts of different projects, sectors, subsectors, and and, right. and, and different uh, different elements of the economy, and, and, what, and, and that that has good and bad. Yeah, and if we're if we're coming off at the back of a pandemic, I mean, what's driving that exuberance as you describe it, and and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. that that you're saying there's lots of money around. Um, what's what's driving that, or what's behind that? I think fundamentally, you know, when you when you kind of looking at the economy generally speaking, it, it all fundamentally 
compares back to uh, interest rates and the interest rate environment. And I think, you know, since the the global financial crisis, we've probably never seen interest rates as low. And, you know, when interest rates are low, that means, you know, uh, capital needs to find a home in alternative asset classes to get a return. And for all of us, that means uh, people managing our pensions and, and deploying money on our behalf for the future are looking at all sorts of different areas to try and find yields for their for that capital and find a home for it. Right. And I guess what you're seeing, particularly in the technology space, is and um, you know venture capital and private equity and those old, what would traditionally have been alternative asset classes are becoming um, you know you know lots of investors uh, that may not have previously been in that space are finding a home for money in those sectors and um, particularly in venture capital and you're seeing like. And hedge funds operating in venture capital, they're, right. you know, so-called crossover funds. You're seeing, uh, obviously, you've probably heard in, in the US, the SPAC um, uh, IPO kind of debacle and, and, and new vehicles to take companies private. Um, and you're also seeing things like we've seen the, the GameStop um, yeah. thing uh, and, and retail money. Yeah. So retail money moving into the stock market and moving into everything from crypto to and being able to trade um, uh, effectively the stock market, which may have been previously not been accessible to, to most retail investors yeah, yeah. and through apps and so on and so forth. So there's been a, a whole pile of money chasing lots of different things that may not have previously been available to them. Very good. Just pick up, it's really interesting, Johnny, uh, just pick up one of those. Uh, I did hear about a SPAC, an SPAC. Maybe you just explain that to us. What exactly is that? So a SPAC is, is a special purpose acquisition company and, and, and effectively what that is, it's a shell vehicle uh, or a shell company that a, a sponsor or a principal or you know, a high profile investor will use as, a, as, a, as an entity to go and raise money from investors. They could be institutional investors, um, private investors, retail investors, um, and they are effectively in global terms, a blank check company. And, and the blank check company basically means, you know, Connor and Johnny uh, go out to the market and we raise 100 million euros in our SPAC. That SPAC, you know, gives us um, 20% typically of the, of the, of that, of the, of the promote or the, the carry in that business. And then we go and try and find a business to acquire, to put into that company and then list it. Right. And, and that's how, uh, you know, it's been, you know, we've seen, Last year, for example, just to put some numbers on it, 250 SPACs were, were done in uh, in the US. Has been uh, of, of a total um, like something like four four or five hundred IPOs in the market. There's been like something like 300 done in in the US alone this year. Right. Like if you put that into context, like in the dot com days, uh, I think there was something like 350, 370 IPOs in the in the dot com frame. Right, okay. So we're like to kind of put it in context, the the amount of companies moving towards the, the public markets through all sorts of different funky structures is yeah. is really accelerating, you know, which makes a lot of people concerned about the market. Right, okay. And you know, the frothiness of it. Yeah, yeah. Um so uh, you know, good news though for, for, for startups, for innovators, for for founders who are starting businesses, that potentially there is quite a lot of capital available looking for good opportunities. Can I ask you uh one of the terms we talk a lot about is fintech. What exactly do we mean when we say fintech? 
Yeah, fintech is kind of one of those terms, I think, that like cloud or, or you know, that has that, that kind of converged with all sorts of different things and different meanings. But, but generally what it means is like it's taking a well-known financial product, be it a mortgage, an ability to accept payments or, you know, buy a life insurance policy, whatever, and building software to make it digitally accessible, as well as, you know, as, as we would all know, easier to use maybe than, than some of the incumbents potentially and and uh, just a better customer experience. And like fintech companies, you know, they've done that. Fintech companies have, have, have built financial products in a new digitally accessible way, either by competing with company, incumbents such as banks or insurance companies, or they've been enabling them. Right. Um, and so what we might not see in terms of fintechs is like a lot of big brands, big financial brands, high street brands, they'll be powered under the bonnet, if you like, yes. by, by fintech or technology components. So, and in Irish market, like, you know, we've probably all heard of this. There's a lot of examples of Irish fintechs and everybody from, you know, fire financial services, the transfer mage, pay zone. There, there's, there's a lot of Irish fintechs out there as well. But, they, but they, they cross the chasm of everything from, you know, lending to asset management to insurance. And, and it's becoming more and more pervasive, if you like, across all sorts of things. Right. So it's kind of merging into everything so it's taking those old school old style products and modernizing them for for the modern era and exactly you, and you are uh, we'll come talk a little bit about you in a moment but you're focused on what's called SaaS startup software as a service and um, yes what are you seeing in that world now what's what's kind of hot right now for you as you as you look out into the market yeah i think you know we 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 focus on on software companies that uh, you know collect their money and their and their revenue from customers um, as a service. So we've all become familiar with, you know, paying for things on the drip, so to speak. Yeah. You know, we'll download our Spotify and our Netflix and we'll clean our credit card bills and long sale of 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 uh, a subscription for everything that we do on yes. a day to day basis. And and software traditionally would have been bought, you know, and, and paid for in a big massive check and an invoice up front. But now uh, across both consumer software and business software, enterprise software, it's, it's typically done on a on a as a service basis, so paid monthly. And uh, we we lend to businesses and provide money to 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 software businesses globally that are selling their software in that fashion. And there is there is a drift and a shift from the old perpetual on premise license model, which was you know and um, you know sell sell initially. You know, big license up front, and 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 then moving it to a more of an, an as a service monthly or transaction basis. And there's all sorts of different flavors of, of how that comes. Right. And uh, we we are seeing a massive trend in that, not just uh, here in in Ireland and Europe, but 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 in the US, there's also as well. There's a, there's a massive shift, and there's lots of software companies that have been, uh, you know, that that fly under the radar. They're not the big brand software names that yeah. you know that exist and, and collect revenue from their customers uh, on that basis. Okay. Um, as I understand it, you're a, a debt funder to startups. Would you explain the difference uh, to me between equity and debt funding in in, sure. in in language that even I could understand? Yeah, I think I, I, I love that. I remember a gentleman a number of years ago explained the difference to debt and equity to me. And he said, Johnny, it's like, it's like think of it like a, a horse race, you know. <laughs> as an equity investor, uh, you know, you want the horse to come in, uh, you know, and placed one, two, or three. Yeah. You know, uh, as a debt investor, you really just want the horse to come home. You right. know, you want to get your money back. And and I think you know, in very simple, you know, uh, 
terminology, that is effectively the difference between debt, debt and equity. Um, so, like, and, and I think you need to always look at and, and founders look at and uh, look at debt and equity as the difference from the person providing the money. So, you know, equity typically is you know early doors, high risk, high return. You can, yeah. you can you take a lot of risk, but you can also equally they compensate for that risk with with, um, uh, with with high return. And and debt is 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 the complete antithesis of that. So it's low risk, low return typically. And then you have all sorts of different flavors of, of that low risk, low return. So um, we, in elements, sit in between the two of those two worlds. We're fundamentally providing a debt product to companies, but we're, we're willing to take a little bit more risk than a traditional bank, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that's fundamentally the difference between the two and, and, and the, the, the place in which we operate in. Why would, a, why would a startup take debt as opposed to equity? What's the advantage? Yeah, so back to back to our, our, our differentiation between equity and debt again. When, when you take on equity capital in, in the form of angel money or venture capital money, you're you're selling a portion of your business. You're yeah. providing a percentage of where to to the person that's providing you with that equity. And um, what what we find is that companies that you know startups that maybe get to you know a couple of millions euros of turnover they, they've got a, a, a nice business and you know they, they may not want to take or part with a percentage of their or their equity of their business right and they may be actually able to take on some debt okay so debt as we say is 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 non-dilutive in terms of ownership so what that means in simple terms is you don't have to part with with any of your equity or your shares if you take on debt and is so, that is, so, is, is that secure debt in other words that like, how do you manage the risk? How does the startup the startup has to repay that debt? Uh, I guess if the business doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's typically it's typically by a you know a security charge on the business, um, and you know it, it comes in all sorts of different flavors and, and, and different um, different forms depending on the on the institution or the firm providing the debt. And you know if you look at you know from from a bank, it will always be senior secured as they say so you will have a debenture over your business like yeah. you know the bank will have a debenture over our house and our mortgage and um, to more hybrid situations whereby you know it, it may be um, limited to, to certain assets within the company and so on okay. and so forth so it, it takes various different forms but fundamentally as a debt provider you're always looking at the ability to repay yes whereas you know uh, the the antithesis is again the, the Different when you're looking from an equity perspective, you know, see, can this company be a category leader? Can it be a global winner? Yeah. Will somebody buy this business, and, and will the horse finish the race and become a you know global very good, player? very good. Um, yeah. yeah. Last question. I have about thirty seconds left, uh, Johnny. Sure. What's What's your advice to startups as they start developing their fundraising strategy? I think um, you know. I think always know who you're pitching to. Always be pitching. Always be selling. Um, always have uh, um, a deck on warm standby, we have, yeah. you know, being able to articulate and be able to articulate what you do to all, all sorts of different um, people, you know, be that uh, somebody in your family who has no clue about what you do day to day. So take your head out of the, you know, the weeds and yeah. be able to explain in really simple terms what you do and be able to bring that back into um, into simple, plain language. Very good. Um, yeah. Understood. So being very clear on your, your kind of value proposition and the reason why you exist and being able to tell you that. Johnny, yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It was great to chat with you. Likewise, Connor. Thanks a million for having me on. Thanks indeed. That was Johnny O'Dwyer of Element Finance.
So each week we bring you an innovator who has spotted a gap in the market, is developing a new product to address that gap, and they're going to tell us the how and the why. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by Emmett Savage, who's the CEO and co-founder of My Wall Street. Hi, Emmett. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Hi, Connor. Delighted to be here. You're uh, you're very welcome. Um, tell us about My Wall Street. What exactly do you do? Well, Connor, there is an unparalleled opportunity today um, because it's never been easier to start stock investing thanks to a new wave of investing uh, zero commission brokerage apps. And what we're out to do is create a generation of successful stock investors around the world. So every week, millions of people join the, the stock investment market with these zero commission brokers. And as soon as they open the brokerage account, they don't know what to do. So our purpose is to inspire people to own their financial future. Very good. I love that. Own your financial future. I remember seeing you. I've seen you speak a couple of times. Um, you have been investing since a very early age. I have, Connor. Yeah. So I'm 46 now. And I think I've been investing in earnest since I was about 18, although I got my first real job, if you like, when I graduated from college at the age of 21, and and the lion's share of everything I earned in those early years and and everything I saved went into the US stock market system. So I have definitely been at it, you know, in full fury for 25 years. What was the first stock you ever invested in? It was Dell. Actually, it was Dell Computers, and I bought it by ringing a stockbroker in New York um, from my, my parents' telephone. <laughs> and I remembered that the commission for buying the share in Dell was greater than the amount I had to invest in Dell. And that problem and that, that the, the niggle of that lodged in my mind, I, I actually still have noise level resentment. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what prompted you to start. I think I recall hearing as well, you, you got into Netflix very early. I mean, you were, you were looking at a lot of these tech companies while the rest of us were, were not even considering it. You were looking at them as an early stage investor. I was. And in fact, it's that Dell story that really, I came to the Dell party too late. I think I bought shares in Dell in around 98 or maybe 1999. But um, what had occurred to me, Connor, and I've probably told the story too many times at this stage, was that had you bought shares in Dell at the start of the 1990s and sold them on the last day of 1999, your investment would have grown 1,600-fold. Not that 1,600%, 1,600-fold. So like $2,000 invested into uh, Dell at the start of the 90s would have grown to $3.2 million by the end of that decade. And it was that insight that uh, I suppose got me hooked and completely, uh, I don't want to say addicted, but obsessed with finding the next Dell. And it was th- those attributes that brought me to, um, to Netflix wow. in due course. Brilliant. So yeah, I bought shares on Netflix I think it was 2003. I'd have to check. I'm either, oh God, yeah, I'd say I'm 17 years an investor in Netflix. When they were still probably shipping videos out by, by post uh, for those of yeah, us who Yeah, exactly. They were only shipping. Exactly. They're only posting out videos and DVDs to around three states or four states when I invested in them. So, um, well, yeah, I, I got lucky, I guess. You and you and Reed Hastings spotting the opportunity early. <laughs> t- t- tell me this. How how do you move, though, from, from a hobby, uh, albeit a very lucrative hobby, I guess, into forming and building a business in investing. Talk about that journey of, of, of and how you, you came along that way. Yes, yeah, so one of the greatest gifts you can have in life is a passion. Now, we all have passions, 
but it so happened that my passion was something that was commercially applicable. Um, and I guess when you think about something night and day, as I do and did with stock investing, you're almost um, betraying yourself not to give it a shot. So I was very keen to um, take the skills that I had developed and nurtured this passion I have for, for successful stock investing and rolling it into a business and into a product that would be used the world over. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I enjoy most is teaching. And, and uh, I used to teach stock investing uh, like in a classroom per se or in a, in a hotel. But what I found from doing that was uh, really people, uh, everyone who attended those courses I gave were experts in something but not stock investing. So the importance yeah. of explaining things in a jargon-free way that anyone can grasp quickly is paramount. And that's why our Learn products, our Learn app, which is free to use, free to download, no hooks, no nothing, is used by nearly 4 million people around the world at this stage. Wow. But I'm interested, uh, so uh, it sounds fantastic, 4 million people, but I'm interested in those early steps in the journey of mm. of how do you how does somebody because what we're trying to figure out here for our show is, is is for other entrepreneurs listening how do you get from the idea to four million users talk about some of the kind of the big milestones on that journey yeah so there's there's several the, there were several on my journey connor and bringing it from one person to a business i suppose i'll describe the key points I can recall right now. The first is, as I mentioned, having an interest and a passion, and that's obviously given and burns inside every entrepreneur. I think the second thing is, you, for me, I believe you have to have a wing woman or a wingman. Yeah. You've got to have a another because it's well, not impossible. It's really difficult to figure everything alone. And I was really lucky to, and I am really lucky to have a co-founder where we complement each other's skill sets. And I, I believe. Every entrepreneur should spend a lot of their time in the early days trying to figure and find someone who they absolutely trust and who is a high performer in areas that they are not a high performer in. Lovely. So like I would be the guy who'd have the big picture and the vision and the passion for stock investing. And my co-founder, John Tyrrell, is incredibly talented at managing people and operations and like he's so uh, he has a, a mind for like uh, an unending memory for small detail yeah. and for getting the best out of people and when we came together we actually I, I think fueled each other on without ever asking we know who'll take what part of the business so that's the, so that's I suppose the first structural step find someone else who's good at things that you're not, not good, good at yeah. um, then uh the reality is you can have a great idea and you can have people, but you will need just three basic building blocks to getting going, capital, an idea, and people. Now, money will not get you an idea, but an idea will get you money. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to say people uh, kind of like across area uh, intersect both. They, they will buy into the idea and you, of course, need cash because the bills don't pay themselves. So there's kind of three concentric circles that overlap, which is an idea, people, and cash. And when you have a good idea, this, I think what you need to do is articulate the vision in an exciting way. And if you were to, for example, if I were to say to you, Connor, I've, I have an idea for a coffee shop and I'm going to open it at the bottom of Grafton Street and 
uh, everybody who wears glasses gets a balloon. There's the angle. You'd go, oh, very good. And I go, yeah, it's going to be opposite beauties. And you know what? We're going to sell loads of coffee. And day one will be cash flow positive. But that's one way to articulate a vision. But the other way to articulate a vision is to say, Connor, I'm going to open a coffee shop at the bottom of Grafton Street. And in five years, we'll have bought half the coffee produced by Ethiopia. And we're going to take down Starbucks. We are going to really give it to them. And what people buy, Connor, is the second story because you've everything to play for when you haven't started. People don't want to invest in a one-shop coffee shop. They want to invest. This is risk capital. They want to invest in the business that's out to take down Starbucks, a partner with Starbucks, because it's a different part of their mind. The risk capital goes to the... Uh, the founding team are out to do something ginormous. So, this, so the next thing I would say to entrepreneurs is take your vision and multiply it by a thousand Lovely. and get used to saying that. I, I, when I first said to someone, uh, you know, we're going to create 100 million new investors, uh, that person said, you know what, I'd invest if you said a billion. And I said, yeah, well, that's the road we're getting there. We'll, when we get the first 100 million, we'll get a billion. And uh, we had a laugh and he got, he allowed me to think bigger. Yeah. You know, so like when you start a business, you have to paint a picture of something ginormous yeah. and then bring it back to the practical. And that's why I need to raise 500,000 now or a million now because I need to get these three skills to get this MVP at the door. And when we have it, we'll learn from it and we'll continue to iterate and grow. So you, you need to marry this giant picture with the practical realities. And the practical realities is you need cash. To get cash in the form of investment, you need to paint that big picture. Fantastic. Really good. Um, talk about you then. So you've been fundraising for a while. Have you been... What stage did you take on first money? Did you have an idea? Did you have something more than that? Were you selling that big vision? Yeah. So we... Yes, you're right. I mean, like... The, the practical reality of uh, of a startup is generally you won't really make decent revenue for the first seven years. It just seems to be the number, and we're seven years old, and it's starting. It has started first now in the last year, so you kind of need to, no matter what your business plan says, kind of you need to accept that there is a decent chance you'd be not always fundraising, but doing a lot of it and. My Wall Street has raised now, I suppose, about 13 million euro and, and we're out to do more. So it's always on. But um, what, what was the question, Connor? <laughs> <laughs> the, the question was, you're taking, you've been taking on lots of money. And I suppose at the early stage, you were selling that vision. I guess that's what started the process of the yeah, fundraising was oh, going totally. out saying, I'm going to build this company that will that'll have 100 million subscribers. Yeah. Um, that's where you started. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you are afforded the opportunity at the, on day one or let's say year one to say what you like once you know the the listener can see just a dotted line between you know reality and your vision um, so our first ways you know was aided by the fact that EI at that time where you're doing match funding and, yeah. and uh, I raised 750,000 in the first round which was used to get an office out in OBUCD and yeah. So John and I to get, you know, a couple of key people in to build the first product. So, yeah, it's a constant cycle of of showing progress against the money you've raised versus what you said you'd do. But certainly in the earlier stages, you can promise the sun, moon, the stars. And the honest knows 
well, you might just deliver one of the stars, but that's good enough, you yeah. know. And 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 they want to buy someone who's energy energetic and going to kick the door in and really is out to make this work, no matter what. You know, I've said to so many investors, you are going to get the odds, the gods on his best shot. I will die trying to make this success. Nothing is going to stand in my way. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I yeah. swear to God. And when when the, the investor hears that uh, and they can see it in the whites of your eyes, you mean it. I think it feels they, 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 a potential investor will buy in quicker in the knowledge that you won't, um, you know, uh, you won't do anything to to deliberately to ruin the chances. Okay, understood, understood. Emmett, um, it sounds like, and I've heard this. You tell the story, and it's fantastic. It never gets old. Um, where are you at now, and what's the vision for the future? So we're we're we have. We're a team of 30 people uh, who, before the virus, were mostly in Dublin. Don't ask me who everyone is at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we uh, we have we have millions of customers uh, around the world. We're paying customers in about 65 countries. And our revenue has grown by 11% every month for about 18 months wow. in a row, um, which we intend to continue. Um, but for we're going, not in the biggest, biggest pictures, we're going to be IPO ready in H2 2024. We put a date in the calendar. We actually put a date in the calendar when we signed the business. We said on the 10th of June 2024, we're going to be ready to float the business. And that was, we wrote, we, we actually wrote that date down in, uh, I'd say within about two or three months of starting the business. So we are still out to be IPO ready in H2 2024. And that isn't the destination. Um, it's a base camp, I suppose. Yeah. And, and I'm using the word IPO ready because ready doesn't mean you've done it. But what it actually kind of says to the it says is that you're you're all about the highest standards of growth and governance that you can find in a business. So that's our, our plan is to have a business that should the board deem it's the right strategy, we can pull the lever, flip the switch and float it. That is amazing. Emmett, um, thank you so much for coming on and joining us this afternoon. Uh, I really look forward to, uh, to keeping an eye on this. And as we get to, uh, as you call it, IPO ready, maybe you might come back and talk to us again at that stage. I'd be delighted, Connor. Thank you so much. That's Emmett Savage, who's the CEO and co-founder of My Wall Street. So welcome back to Startup Nation. And as we're talking about money today and funding, I thought we might take a few minutes to talk about how startups access funding to grow their businesses. And one of the ways that you can consider raising funds is through equity investment. And we've talked about this is where you give away a share of your company in return for receiving that funding. We have talked on previous shows about angel funding as a key aspect, but you might also hear the phrase venture funding or VC funding. So let's discuss that for a moment. Venture funding is provided by full-time professional firms who invest in ambitious, fast-growing companies uh, and they have the potential to develop into significant businesses, globally scaling businesses. And in addition to injecting cash into the company, the VC is likely to add some management expertise, their support, possibly access to their contacts. Um, and as part of this investment, uh, they will probably most likely want to sit on your board and, and to take a board membership uh, in your company. And interestingly, VCs are not looking for maybe an earlier repayment or a share of the profits, but they want a percentage of the equity of your company in return for the cash. And how do they get their money back? Well, the VC will typically look to realise their investment in a you know a five to seven year period. And that might be through flotation on a public market, as we heard Emmett mentioning to us, or through a, a trade sale 
or indeed for their stake to be bought out by the company. So that's venture funding. And there's, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the availability of early stage seed funding. Um, but at Dublin Big, we do have a seed fund, uh, the DBIC Ventures Fund. It's aimed at early stage companies and we're actively looking for innovative and ambitious companies. And if that sounds like you, do contact us at startup at dublinbic.ie. So that's the inside track for today on venture funding and staying with equity, but I'm going to move and just slightly change track and have a look at a a kind of a new innovation in funding that's coming down the track, has been building in popularity over the last couple of years, and that's called crowdfunding. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Chris Burge, who's the CEO and founder of Spark Crowdfunding. Good afternoon, Chris, and thanks for joining us today. Good afternoon, Conor, and thank you very much for having me. Delighted to have you with us today. Start us off, Chris, tell us a little bit about you. Um, and your background, before you ever got near crowdfunding, what did you do? <laughs> um, I'm an engineer uh, by, by my first degree, and, uh, and I've spent most of my time in engineering over the years. But um, I was always interested in uh, you know, the financial side of things and always interested in uh, the uh, investing as well. So I, uh, I dabbled in investing over the years as well, and, uh, but saw the rise and rise of uh, equity crowdfunding, and, uh, and that's what kind of got me into it. But, uh, but yes, that's, that's a little bit of background of, of me anyway. Right. Um, what prompted the move from energy consultant to finance? Because that was your most recent role before you, you set up crowd, Spark Crowdfunding. Um, you were an energy consultant. You had a, a firm in, in that business. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, I, I had a consultancy. It's doing very well. Um, but and, and without wanting to, it, it lacked the spark. And uh, <laughs> without wanting to uh, drop a pun in there. But um, but yeah, it was it was it was interesting. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was something that I was quite quite keen, passionate about it with regards to the kind of the environmental side of things and, and trying to kind of uh, limit people's uh, uh, energy use. But as I say, it, it didn't have the um, the, uh, the 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 excitement that uh, I, I perceived that uh, equity crowdfunding was having. So so I saw the rise and rise of it uh, of equity crowdfunding. That is yeah. and. Um, and saw that there was also a gap here in Ireland. So uh, I decided that I, I would uh, kind of uh, you know, start the business and, 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 uh, and, and try my hand at that as well. Very good. We will come on to, to Spark in just a minute and uh, you, can, you can tell us all about it. And, and I'm looking forward to discussing crowdfunding in general with you. But before I get there, we've been talking uh, all, all day about the, the changes in money and the money markets and stuff. What's your sense on capital availability of capital for startups appetite for risk maybe give us your sense of of what's happening at a macro level sure i mean the, 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 there's been a certainly a drying up of uh, capital for, for early stage companies and we've seen that and there's been a number of kind of reports out over the over the years or over the months rather um, particularly post-covid uh, that this has happened i mean a lot of the vc companies and i, I know you were just mentioning them earlier on they, uh, with COVID, they circled the wagon somewhat and, and tried to protect a lot of their portfolio. Understandably, of course, they did. They wanted to see that their, their companies survive through through the pandemic. Um, but with that, that obviously kind of dried up a lot of uh, capital for for some of the other smaller com- uh, smaller companies that were starting out and uh, and wanting to raise some funds at that stage. So, 
So, but and also from the banks as well, we've seen kind of a lot of the capital dry up from those as well. So, so we we see uh, Sparkers fitting into that and and helping that extra flow of money from from the savings that have been built up. And, and again, the central bank has produced many statistics over over the last numbers of months, uh, saying that you know, uh, deposit money on deposit within the banks has grown and grown and grown now at a record level of about 120 billion uh, here in Ireland. And uh, and as such, that money needs to find a home somewhere because it's it's earning nothing in uh, in the deposit accounts of, of, the, of the banks. Uh, in fact, it, it can even be earning negative amounts. Yeah. So so we're finding that there's been a, an appetite to kind of look at other alternative investment mechanisms, and and crowdfunding has been one of them. Fantastic. Um, it's a nice segue into what exactly does Spark do? Explain Spark and explain crowdfunding to me, if you wouldn't mind. Well, just like the VCs, we uh, are looking for innovative and, uh, and ambitious young companies with high growth and scalable uh, ambitions that, that will actually uh, you know, grow their business. Um, and we're opening those to, uh, to the wider public, the crowd, if you like. Yeah. Before, heretofore, it was very difficult for, a, for, a comp- for, a, for, sorry, for an individual to invest into a, a high potential startup, a, a company that was supported by the state through Enterprise Ireland. It was it was almost impossible unless you had you know very very deep pockets and were able to go in as a as a lead investor perhaps. Um, so if you just wanted to put a, a, a modest amount of money into these companies, it would cost you the same amount of money, if not more, in legal fees in order to do so. Yeah. So we see this as a kind of a democratization of way of uh, of, of uh, the average person to be able to invest alongside Enterprise Ireland into these you know high potential uh, you know, startups, and that's what we do. So we're, we're very much a the same as an investment, uh, sorry, the same as an angel network, but instead of uh, a, a kind of a, a level of twenty or you know, ten or twenty thousand euros that you need to come in, you know, you can come, you can invest as little as a hundred euros in this. And this obviously widens the funnel massively, yeah. uh, and as such, instead of just having a, a half dozen or dozen investors uh, coming in, you've got hundreds of investors. These are all wrapped up into a very neat nominee vehicle. Um, and and these hundreds of investors are now brand advocates, and uh, hopefully they will prom- start promoting your business. Uh, and it's in, the, in their own, it's in their own interest to do so as well, because they've got in, their skin in the game now, and they want to see that, that the business that they've invested in do well. Right. And we were talking earlier on in the show to uh, Johnny, and he mentioned this notion of risk capital. This is this this for the small investor is risk capital. I mean, they can lose this money. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And we make that very clear. And we know, and just through the statistics that are out there, that, you know, five out of 10 or maybe even six out of 10 companies will will fail uh, before they actually get to an exit position. So you're expecting the, the six, seven, eight, nine and 10 uh, companies to to um, uh, to actually do very well and to actually have a multiple exit. So so you're Maybe let's say the thousand euros that you invested might become you know two thousand or six thousand or twenty six thousand. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and that, but it's, but yeah, absolutely. It, it, your your capital is at risk, and it's very illiquid as well because uh, you mentioned the, uh, the the exit timeline as well, the, yeah. the time horizon of being anything between three and seven years, and and so your money is tied up for that period of time as well. So so yes, it, it is it is money that you're not going to see for a while. 
but hopefully uh, you will. And uh, you, uh, but you, you, you absolutely uh, have to understand that the money is at risk. But one of the things that we try and mitigate mitigate against, of course, is that you know, we we curate uh, our inve- our investees, the companies, you know, very very highly. And so, yeah, we'd like to think that you know that the, the, the number that actually fail with us are, is less than the, the standard because right. you know the number of that we, we that we don't commit onto our site, of course. Very good. So let's look at it in a bit of detail, if I may. So, from the company perspective, a what sort of companies are coming onto the platform, and then what's the process for the company to to kind of get through and to be one of those curated companies that you mentioned. Yeah, we have a very diverse portfolio of companies on our books now. Um, uh, you know, some uh, there's been a manufacturing one, a lot of tech ones, as you'd expect, um, and uh, some B two C, some B two B. In fact, it's actually been quite an even uh, even split between B two B and B two C companies that have come onto uh, onto the Spark platform. But we are very um, you know um, agnostic with regards to the actual sector. You know, we will look at you know anything that comes along if it's a young uh, early stage. Uh, Irish business uh, and even not Irish business we're even looking yeah. at kind of businesses outside of Ireland now as well um, that we would happily have a look at them and uh, as long as they uh, are, are uh, suitable for us and, and that they uh, that we see that there is a, a prospect for them to actually grow and scale then we'd be happy to uh, to look at them and potentially get them onto the platform and what defines suitability Chris for the company well, that, that, again, that's quite an open. Uh, you know, some are some are in profit. Some, uh, sorry, not in profit, in revenue. Some are pre-revenue. Yeah. And again, we uh, are, we don't uh, stipulate that they have to be uh, in revenue because we've had a, a number of very good businesses that have been pre-revenue. Um, we we just raised uh, 1.2 million uh, euros for a, a company, a medtech company that were, that is, was pre-revenue uh, just a month or two ago now, wow. uh, which was which was great. So so there's a, the, the criteria that we have is very broad, um, but nevertheless we, we need to see that there is a uh, that, that, that this company is uh, is going to grow. We need to see its scalability. We need to be a, a, able to see that this is something that the crowd as well will support. You yeah. know, there are some that won't be uh, suitable for the crowd. And there's some that will be, and and so as I say, we're, we're, our uh, our pool, our, our funnel is quite wide. And that matching process is, or that um, criteria process is almost a case by case basis. What you're looking to see is, does this company have an appeal to your investor base? I guess. Absolutely, yes, and we look at each of them uh, individually. Of course, we do, um, and yeah, there's an application process that that, that that go through, and we have an investment committee that approves that. And uh, yeah, we we want to see a number of elements, but yeah, absolutely, we we uh, we we look at that very carefully and decide whether this is something suitable for for us or not. Yes, talk about the uh, the process for your investor. So, how does um and, and maybe even what's the profile of your investor? And you mentioned, you know, it could be as little as a hundred euro up to whatever. Um, so how does how does the small investor get onto the platform, and how do they invest, and how's their investment managed? Yeah, uh, so it's a very easy process. There's a, a registration uh, process that, uh, that the investor has to go through. And ultimately, when they invest, there's a, a full KYC, which is know your client and an AML for the anti-money laundering process that we, that we follow through, uh, where they have to kind of detail their, their, you know, their name and address and uh, proof of address, sorry, and proof of ID. Um, so that we know that who is investing and it's, it's not laundered money. Um, but the, the actual registration process is very quick and very easy. 
Um, and once they get onto the platform, they then can see the, the campaigns in, in, in all their glory and all the details behind it. And they, they make a judgment themselves, having read the, uh, the, the, the information that's on the site. Maybe they'll come along to one of the webinars where they'll actually listen to the investee, uh, the company speak, and, uh, and, and they, can, they have the opportunity to ask questions. And even they can ask questions offline as well. You yeah. know, we have a, a discussion panel on the site, but also we, we, we facilitate one-on-one meetings as well with the, with the investors if they'd like to, uh, uh, to, 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 to speak to the investees personally. So there's a, there's a full kind of mechanism behind it that makes that gives them the opportunity to to drill down into the business to work out exactly if this is something that they are willing to put their money in and and risk their money as well uh, in this startup and if if it if it ticks all the boxes for them then they 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 just hand over um or sorry kind of put their money into the into the uh, um uh, 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 escrow account that we that uh, we hold with Stripe uh, keeps their money safely. Uh, it's it's something. It's uh, obviously money that is we can't ga- gain access to, and yeah. only we will release that once the uh, all the legal work has been done. And one of the elements in which they are wrapped up, as I mentioned, in this in this um, uh, in a nominee vehicle. So this nominee vehicle uh, corrals all of the investors together. So there, there could be two hundred or three hundred investors in this in this particular round. And of course, we can't have every single. You know, a name on a cap table. Uh, it gets too complicated, and will will be a, a burden to them further on in further investments. So, in order to get around that, we we put them into a nominee vehicle, and that nominee vehicle uh, uh, hosts all of these investors in one neat little uh, package. Lovely. So, so from for me as the company, then I'm not dealing with a, a multitude of small investors. I'm dealing with one nominee vehicle, and for the investor, I know that I've gone into a structured vehicle that's gone into that company. So, so that works well. Talk about the typical size of round. You mentioned a 1.2 million medtech round, but what's the average round size that you're pulling together on the platform? Well, it's grown uh, from from our early stages. You know, uh, we've we've probably the average I'd say at the moment is around three hundred, four hundred thousand euros uh, okay. for for businesses. Um, but yeah, that that so uh, hides the smaller ones and the the larger ones as well. So as I said, yes, the one point two million that we raised recently, but we've just raised. 650,000 for a B2B SaaS company. Uh, we've just raised uh, over 500,000 for the uh, for a, a scooter company. Um, uh, we just raised another um, 500,000, 600,000 actually for um, a, a sports betting company as well. So, so there's a number of uh, different elements, uh, but you know, we're very happy to to do raises for 100 and 200 as well, uh, and and everything between. Excellent. Talk about. Um some of the companies, uh, and if you can give us some names, great, uh, of successful companies that have been on the platform. And I suppose what I'm after is, is there almost a profile of the type of company that might be suited to crowdfunding? Well, we, we've had, as, as I say, some some very kind of commercial ones. I mean, the the, the one that we did, the sports uh, the sports betting one, was was a, was is, a, is run by Paddy Power, in fact. Not Paddy Power, the company. Paddy Power, the individual. Right. Um, uh, and obviously, that was very well, uh, uh, very well supported. But we've had very quite obscure 
um, uh, uh, B2B uh, you know, SaaS companies like Tefender, which is just closing in the next couple of days, actually, um, where we raised uh, 640. So it is very diverse, Connor. And, and there isn't, really isn't something you can just go, OK, well, that, that's a, that's a um, crowdfunding one. And that isn't. Yeah, we, we've had um, we, we, most of the companies that we have on the platform are HPSU companies. So they, they've yeah. been they've been uh, supported by the state through Enterprise Ireland. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that that really is the I suppose the a lot of the companies are are like that and and have and have EI support. Right. Okay. So you are so you're you're mostly your rounds are coming in as part of that HPSU matching process. Absolutely. Yes, we co-fund alongside the EI uh, investments, and, and sometimes that's around two hundred and fifty. Sometimes it's a little bit more as well. So a lot of the companies use our the funding that we've raised to uh, release that co-funding from Enterprise Ireland. Right, okay. Um, can I ask you then, Chris, so you're a startup in your own right, and I remember uh, I remember meeting you a couple of years back and you were at the very early stage in this process. Talk about your own journey uh, of building this as a startup. You, you set this up uh, as an entrepreneur yourself. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we, we actually just gone through our three-year anniversary just last week, I think. Congratulations. It was. Um, so... We uh, yeah started from and, and had nothing, uh, no investors and no no investees, and we had to balance that two-sided marketplace quite carefully at the, at the beginning. Obviously, it's no good having a load of investors there that, and no companies in which to in which to invest. And 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 the flip of that is obviously true as well, having plenty of companies and no investors. So so we had to build them up quite carefully on each side of the marketplace. And that uh, was a challenge, absolutely. But we, we, we succeeded and we took some baby steps at first and had some very early successes, which were, which were great. And then started to grow into more bigger and bigger companies. Sorry, not bigger and bigger companies as such, but uh, companies that were seeking perhaps more and more money. Um, so if you'd asked me kind of a couple of years ago, would, buy, would I be raising uh, 1.2 million for, for a company? I'd have almost laughed at you. Yeah. But uh, now that we've built up our investor profile and investor numbers uh, to such an extent that yeah that now is is very doable for us and 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 maybe even more and how what was the process i suppose i'm after because we normally talk to software as a service companies and they're they're building up and they build an mvp and they go out to market and then they get some customers and that's their typical journey describe your journey of i have this idea for crowdfunding it hasn't really been done on the island of ireland uh, you're you're kind of carving a new path if you will so I'm interested in how did you get it from an idea to where you're at now, where you're helping fundraise 1.2 million companies. Well, unfortunately, we can't claim uh, the 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 uh, the, uh, the idea. I mean, of course, this this, this started uh, outside Ireland, and, and uh, I observed what was going on in the UK and the US, and and saw the the growth of it, and and you know really liked the idea, and thought, well, okay, well, why why doesn't it exist here? And so we we did our research. We built our platform and we did that from scratch, again, knowing what we wanted and how we wanted to be slightly different from perhaps the UK companies or, or, or the, the companies on the other side of the pond as well. And we uh, we, we just grew it up from, from that. So we, we saw the opportunity, realized that, you know, capital, as you mentioned earlier on, was was somewhat um, hampered and you know, wasn't as free flowing as we would have liked it to have been and, and uh, as the state would have liked it to have been. In fact, in fact, we're, we're, we're we've. Uh, we, we think that we've actually um, crossed that gap of, of the funding gap that exists between uh, debt and uh, some of the, the high, 
higher level VC money as well, yeah. and we're, we're meeting that level in between. So, so yes, yeah, so we we built it up, and uh, and as I say, we had to do it quite gently at first, without having to rock one side of the boat to the other. Uh, but we we did it, and and uh, yeah, and um, and it's grown to to the size it has now, which is which has been a great great experience and a great journey. I've loved it. Fantastic uh, achievement. Did you? And you mentioned this kind of rocking the boat. Uh, was there a struggle in the early year or two to be accepted as a as a viable platform? Yeah, yes, there was absolutely, um, and I still think to some extent, you know, some of the uh, the older established businesses uh, also still look uh, look at us and going, oh, I'm not sure about that. But yeah, I think we've now over three years and over twenty companies now who have gone through our through our books, we've demonstrated that yeah, we can do this and we can we're successful in doing it as well. And I think it's just going to grow and grow. And I think crowdfunding itself will be uh, more and more accepted and, and part of the, the the general landscape of funding. And, uh, and 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 long may that be the case. Of course, that's, of course, I'd say that. But uh, <laughs> I think it will, and I think it will become more and more accepted uh, for for everybody. And are there is there room for other competitors in that that crowdfunding space? Um, uh, is there room to grow the overall pie? I think absolutely, definitely. I mean, it, it, it really is, and we we expect it, uh, the the, uh, the the competition to come, um, uh, whether that be organically from within Ireland or whether that be from a I don't know a UK or a European company that decides to to come into Ireland, and you know, and, and that will happen undoubtedly. Uh, but absolutely, listen, there, there's there are plenty of companies seeking investment and there are plenty of investors seeking a, a home for their money as well so uh, i'm hoping that uh, yeah that, that, that we as uh, as an industry crowdfunding as an industry or, or equity crowdfunding in particular will grow and uh, and and, uh, and and be more prevalent across the whole of the uh, startup community very good um we heard from emmett savage of my wall street earlier and he was talking about this big vision that he has for the business and he was talking about i'm, I'm going to go to an ipo ready in the second half of 2020 What's the big vision for Spark crowdfunding? The big vision. Well, we we won't just stay on the island of Ireland. There's undoubtedly a lot of space uh, opening up in, in across the rest of Europe as well. Um, and the passport facility that we will uh, get at the end of this year through through the regulation will enable us to actually go seamlessly into uh, other areas of the EU. And we, we certainly have our our, uh, our our aspirations to do so. So we won't just stay here. Uh, we will grow and we will expand into other markets. And uh, but not only that, we, we're also looking at other um, other uh, products within the, the, the Spark uh, stable as well that will help uh, young startup companies. Uh, so that, that is our aspiration. I can't see us kind of IPOing in the next uh, year or two like Emmett was uh, wanting for his <laughs> business. But nevertheless, uh, we, we, we will grow and we will expand. Uh, but up, up to this point, we've done it all organically. This is all done ourselves. We've never taken in external invest, investment. But um, uh, we, uh, yeah, we may have to. And we, uh, in fact, it's in fact it's on our on our plans to do so. So, uh, and, and and obviously that will be done through our own platform. So yeah. we're, we're looking forward to doing that in the in the coming months and years. Brilliant. Uh, Chris, we ask all our interview guests to finish us off with a piece of advice uh, before we let them go. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do the same. And you're in a unique position. You're both a startup founder and you are in an investment platform. So 
what advice have you got for founders listening in who are looking to to kind of start and build companies and you come at it from two ways uh so maybe maybe your advice looking at it in terms of your own journey but also in terms of the platform that you run i think you just have to go for it i mean it, it's you know one of the things that i regret uh, doing uh, not doing this earlier, uh, I really did not necessarily Spark because Spark was of its time uh, at the right time, the right place. But um, I, I really wish I'd been uh, an entrepreneur earlier on in my career because I, I just absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, the the the, uh, the excitement of it all, uh, and uh, so so the one piece of advice is is just you know do, just embrace it and 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 do it. And the earlier you can do it, when you've got less. Um, uh, ties uh, to you, the better. So uh, early, uh, and uh, a number of uh, the companies that have gone through our books now uh, uh, have been from very young entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Gleason's one of them on with Zip at the Zip, moment. Yeah, yeah. But we've, we've also had um, uh, Sonia Neary, another yeah, young Sonia, uh, yeah. on, uh, entrepreneur as well. But um, and we're seeing more and more of them. In fact, I actually was just on a call again to another one yesterday uh, who's, who's literally just stepped out of college. And I, I just love the idea that they, they're doing it at the, at, the, at the age that they are. So just go my for one it. piece of advice is just to, to embrace it early on and, and to just really kind of launch yeah. full scale into it as, as quickly as you can. Chris, thank you for joining us this afternoon and the very best of luck with Spark Crowdfunding. Thank you very much, Connor. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. That's Chris Burge, the CEO and founder of Spark Crowdfunding. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the world of investment. Do join us again next week when we'll be looking at the future of food and the big innovations that are coming down the track. We hope that the stories you heard today will inspire you. If you have a great idea and would like some support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. So that's it. Join us again next week at 12 noon for Startup Nation. (laughs) 